When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome aboard the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm Keith Arthur and Jim Baxter is joining me on this voyage, making a return visit. Jim's well-known, he's famous in fact, as a wagger angler and has already published a wonderful book on the subject called The Rising Antenna. When Jim was here a while ago, he mentioned he was preparing another book on float fishing, this time the style that I consider angling's greatest art, the stick float. I've invited Jim back to chat about the book because it's such a wonderful read, whether you've ever fished the technique or not. Jim, thanks for joining me. You're very welcome, Keith. Nice to be here. Are you like me? Do you believe that the stick float is the greater of the two float fishing arts? I'm not even considering the pole because a monkey can do that. <laughs> yeah, it, well, a, a large part of me thinks it is the better one, yeah. Because the waggler is silent when you strike and the stick float gives that familiar clunk every time you fish. You mean the... And, uh, it's so direct, and uh, I, I do think it takes longer to master. I love the title Stick Float Wizardry because many of the anglers mentioned in the book and those who provided their own chapters are indeed magicians. I know because I've fished with and against many of them, I've had good hidings from a few and managed to beat some of them too. How, how long was the planning and production stage of the book? Well, it's it's all gone a bit hazy now. It's been so long, yeah. I started thinking about it about 2017. I don't, I can't even remember when lockdown started, but the year before lockdown, would that be 18? 19. 19. Yeah, lockdown started March 2020. The year, well, 19 then, I didn't do very much, but when it got round to the following year and we were all struggling couldn't go anywhere then I started writing again and uh, helped, by, helped a lot by contacts I'd made through Angling Star magazine 
which lasted 18 years. Uh, I'd already got a good network, you know, I, I could reach out to anglers here, there and everywhere and friends and uh, like like yourself, I've, I've fished with a lot of the people or against a lot of the people in the book and they were good enough to contribute. It, it is lovely to see that because there are plenty of individual anglers have written their thoughts on on various styles of fishing. You know, my way with the pole, and you know, Tommy Pickering's book, very similar, Dicky Carr's book. Lots of people write about their own opinions of a style, and let's face it, in fishing, very little is definitive. Most of Correct. it is opinion, and you know, I'm lucky because I only have the right opinion. <laughs> if if well if yeah. I didn't I'd have if if it Thanks, wasn't right I'd have a different one you know <laughs> but it's true isn't it we all have our own opinions we all have our own way and while while coaching Absolutely. is such a co- coaching is such an emotive subject in fishing because you can get coached by someone who'll say that's how you do it and someone else will say no you don't you do it this way so it it is very much about opinions but if we can let's let's just think about the book and go back to basically the beginning of the stick float. And, and the man who invented it, basically, um, was Benny Ashurst. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now, he was uh, the originator. Yep. Other people might have used cane and balsa floats. And uh, I think I once got a, a mini reprimand from a guy in Chester who said we were fishing stick floats before Benny. But uh, Benny put his name to it. Benny did all the work prior to his book coming out in 68 uh, the stick float was on the market and or in his area it, the stick float was around mm. in in Lancashire and uh, so Benny had every right to claim it well the thing I like about Benny's claim to it was not only did he say I designed it he said I had this problem and it was fishing for roach and I think rudd as well on the far bank of the Lee Canal and I couldn't get a float that would cast far enough with little enough shot down the line so I could see the bite. So I wanted a float that was self-cocking. Now, you'll remember, Jim, the stick float was around before the waggler because the waggler didn't have a name. It didn't have a name until Johnny Rolfe put a name to it, which was a swinger, and then Kevin Ashurst is alleged to have said, don't look like a swinger to me, it looks more like a waggler. And and that was, uh, understandably, we, we fished peg leg, didn't we? Peg leg, yeah, uh, bottom only. Bottom only, we yeah. We didn't. We called them peacocks, didn't we? Before, yeah, yeah. It was turned waggler by uh, what's his name again? Uh, well, one of Benny's mates, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, we've got the, the origin. The origin of the stick float is on the Lee Canal, which is a still water. It's probably fourteen or fifteen meters, three rod lengths wide. So he's using it to cast. Float. Sorry. It was a four-inch float, apparently, yeah. the first yeah. one. Yeah, very heavy on the base because it, it couldn't yeah. be couldn't be long because the canal was so shallow, which is why he couldn't fish peg leg because there was no such thing as a short waggler or, or peacock or whatever you want to call it. It wouldn't carry the shot, That's so he wanted a loaded float that would go across, and, and so the stick float was born. And um, it stayed there catching fish on canals until he decided he might like to try it on the Trent. Exactly, and uh, a long journey. 70-odd miles from Manchester, so a bit further from Lee. Yeah. And to think they went there every weekend and they practised midweek 
luckily, being, being a maggot breeder, he'd got a chance to fish midweek. But, you know, when Kevin started, his son, uh, the world champion to be later, year, a few years later, uh, Kevin would get up at sort of 4am, do a shift at the maggot farm, and then f- go drive all the way to the Withermore Trent to fish a match. So he had a big weekend, Kevin did. It's hard to think as well, because the Witham... similar. But that's right. With, the Witham was a stick float river then as well, wasn't it? If you didn't draw on the bream, and, and, and ledgering was... I mean, the feeder wasn't allowed. Ledgering was very really? much... Was, was, was very... Um, Tactical and, and and you had to draw the right areas, but you know you could get twenty pound a roach out with them on the stick, right. couldn't you? Yeah, in winter, mainly in mm. winter, autumn and winter, because mm. summer matches uh, it was more more like a lake, a very slow moving river. Yeah, in summer and a lot of weed and uh, sometimes you couldn't catch much on a stick float, but uh, it worked for eels on the Witham. Yes, yeah. and. Uh, you know, that became a big method before the pole took over and did it a bit better. Incidentally, if you can hear a dog barking, it's not mine. It's my neighbours. Right. My neighbour, they've got two. They've got a chocolate Labrador and a Rottweiler. And the chocolate, okay. the, the chocolate Labrador is the one that's going woof, woof, woof. And when the right. um, Rottweiler gets fed up with him, he goes woof, 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 woof. So if you hear the other one, I'll, if, if you can't hear it, then forget I've just said that. If you can, they're not my dogs. Um, <laughs> they've gone out and they've like left it. the dogs in the hallway, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we've got um, Benny Ashurst, and we've got him on on the Trent. And I mean, we we can talk about. I suppose we should talk about the bait they fished with as well, because the stick float, the way they fished it, and the way the river was fishing at the time, which was very, very predominantly roach, very few chub yeah. in those days on the Trent. The chub came later in the sort of eighties, but seven, late seventies, eighties. But it was very much a roach river. And they'd, by fair means or foul, they've invented the sinking chrysalis. We all knew that roach loved chrysalis, but we couldn't feed them because most of them floated and the seagulls had come down and the roach had come up and follow them. But they, they worked out how to get sinking, sinking chrysalis, which we now have known for 60 years nearly as casters. And they took the river to bits, didn't they? Absolutely dominated it for over a decade and... The Nottingham anglers were famous for maggot fishing and suddenly they were having to take a back seat on their own river when it came to uh, winning the matches. They they weren't, other than the odd exception, uh, they weren't competing with the caster fishing maggot and centipede reels as they were then. Uh, but I covered in one chapter the challenges, Manchester v Nottingham. Yes. And uh, it wasn't as one-sided as I was led to believe. Oh, no. The Nottingham Anglers won one round convincingly at Fiskerton. And uh, they got Kevin Ashurst. He had to use Maggot in the second half of the match. And he started doing well. And I think he finished about third individual. But overall, the six-a-side... The six-a-side contest was won by Nottingham handsomely. So they didn't win every time, Manchester, when it was casting reel and caster versus maggot and centipin. Mm. 
Which, uh, strangely, we'd probably fish that the other way around now, wouldn't we? We'd use a centre pin with a caster more to slow it down and send it down at the speed we thought a caster should go at. And and the, the later trend, which I suppose Dave Thomas was largely responsible for, we'll, we'll come to him a bit in a minute as well. I'm just jumping a bit here. But he, his style of running it through more at the speed of the current suited the maggot and, and the open face, and, or the close face or open face reel, but the... the um, yeah, the casting reel. Yeah, the mincing machine, whatever it was called, the thread line, fixed ball. The, it had different names down down the years. Yeah. But yeah. They, so they dominated the river with, with their stick float fishing and fishing on the drop, which was a fairly new technique because we all wanted to fish with our bait on the bottom. We used ground bait. In, everywhere outside London. In London, we use maggot droppers, which weren't allowed um, on, on NFA matches. Or Mouse droppings, you say? No, maggot droppers. Oh, sorry. We sorry. Use, we, we I thought you were talking droppers. about a shot. Yeah, no, no we, we, we used bait droppers to get our bait to the bottom here and fished right under the end of our rods, centre pin yeah. and crocodile fishing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, up there, it was it was more... That they realised that they, the casters sank at different depths and the fish yeah. would come up to intercept them on the way down. So fishing on the drop, which was which the stick float is absolutely perfect for, because de- yeah, in his original design sat almost at half cock, didn't it? Well, exactly. Uh, they, well, Dick Ward. I think it's fair to quote Dick Ward here, who the book's dedicated to. Two points. He said first that they couldn't fish on the bottom anyway because it was covered in slime. It was part sewage at that time they were cleaning up the river trying to and so the bottom was very dirty the fish wouldn't live on the bottom necessarily and so they they had to fish less than the depth of the water but more to the point the river was artificially warm with the power stations at that time and through the 70s as well and uh, so it was a natural position to catch fish mid-water or shallower sometimes. So they didn't need many shots on the line. And they could just present the stick on the drop or catching under depth rather than, you know, when when the bottom got cleaner, they could fish over depth and drag line on the bottom. It, it was also... Um... Back then, it, and, and it is a long time ago, and, and the, the memory fogs up a bit. Um, but it, it is also a fact that the um, the way that they fished the caster um, and the stick float, they they held it back a bit, didn't they? In the current, it, they didn't. It wasn't running through at the speed of, except for the drop. A nice quote from Ian Eaps, because we used to, as you would remember well there was always a hot spot where you'd expect a bite coming mm. as you trotted the 15 yards or whatever it was down to the next peg. Well, 15 yards, and, I'd kill 15 yards on most of the yeah. trip that was at Burton. <laughs> you, you'd get 10 in some places, yeah. yeah. Uh, I said uh, the guy at uh, Long Giggy must have been on on a, on a some drugs anyway. Uh, I think I said an acid trip when I said it. Because some pegs were like, 15, 16 yards, others were only 10, 11 yards. Yeah. So how can you peg a match length like that? Totally unfair. Yeah. And the fastest bit of water was sometimes the closest peg 
but that's another story. But the, what I wanted to say, Ian Eaps talked about Kevin when his float was approaching the hot spot. He just held it. He checked the float at the perfect time and released it exactly, you know, to put, as we used to say, put the bait in the fish's mouth. Yeah. Right on the hot spot. And he's, he said it was like a conductor conducting an orchestra, yeah. the way he did it so well. There's some, some great like quote. That. Oh, it's a, it's a fabulous quote. And there was a great quote by, from, by Colin Dyson um, when the Robert Tess, apparently, was watching um, Kevin fish the stick float on the on the Trent and, and Robert Tess, who was captain and manager of the French the famous world championship winning French team um, back in, in that era, in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s. He, he fished um, and, and had his own range of tackle and, and all sorts of things. And um, he said, what's that he's using? So Colin Dyson has apparently said, oh, it's the stick. So Robert said to him, does he beat him with it? And, and the reply yeah. was, too bloody often. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. That's one that's stuck in my mind. I think I read it in yeah. the late John Carding's World Class Match Fishing because um, John was very great friends with Robert Tess and, and, and spent a lot of time in, in, in the, big, uh, the big tackle shop in Angers in France. And, and you always came back with goodies. He used to come into the shop I ran at the time in South London and we'd be after him for pole elastic, which we were still fishing on crooks and beautiful yeah. floats with wire bristles that we couldn't buy here. Anyway, that, that, as, you, we, 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 as usual, we're going to be diverting a bit. Now, so we, we've had the Benny and Kevin era and, and the, 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 the Trent anglers, as you said... Sort of kept up with them, but not with the same regularity probably as those two and a few others, Dick Ward and, and other people from from slightly further afield. But I've got a little list here, and most of them are people that designed their own floats and marketed their own floats, stick floats, yeah. to fish their specific way. And the first one I've got is someone I've got so much time for who won a match this year, aged 80, a top match on the Trent, and that's Pete Warren. Yeah. Fantastic angler. And I said the other day I'd pay 10 quid for Pete Warren and Dave Thomas's chapter. But Pete himself, he surprisingly, he got onto the stick after drawing next to Ivan Marks at Dunham Bridge. And uh, he tells this story in the book where Ivan was... They were fish for fish, and Ivan switched to a stick float, and uh, then Pete had to admit he couldn't compete with Ivan, and uh, he, he ended up going to watch Ivan. Yeah, I'm... And, I'm uh, and so did so many people on so many different venues. Exactly. And then, that's right, Ivan was the star of that time. But uh, it gave Pete, you know, the penny drop for Pete. And he had to say, well, this is the way forward. This is the future, you know. So Pete decided he had to get some stick floats then. And uh, Jerry Woodcock started making his sticks and uh, the rest is history. He was the man to beat, early 70s, uh, certainly in Nottingham area, and he could compete with the Manchester men. He fished a little bit um, further out as well, didn't he? He seemed to fish a bit further out than, than most other anglers 
with his, his, well, his longer and bigger? Pete, well, I don't know. The, the story in the book is where he, he used to fish not far beyond his rod tip and uh, feed very lightly with half a dozen casters and a little ball of ground bait following. Mm-hmm. And he said that worked on the trend and then everywhere else he used it. So it, it's talking really about fishing a four number four float and only going heavier if he, if he did go further out. But I think he could do a bit of everything. But the key was he, he didn't want a stick that was too heavy uh, to cock straight away. He wanted a, a, sinking, a sinking base in cane, but not one that had cocked straight away. It would cock in line with the shots. Yeah. Same, same as the Manchester Anglers did. Yeah. And, so he and, copied them in a, in a sense, but uh, he did it. He did it extremely well for many years. Legend has it that um, that Benny Stick floats had the lignum bases with the the stems he got from the the spinning jennies from the. Um, so that was green art. I'm oh, was it sure green? I'm oh, sorry. I thought yeah, it was lignum. They were made. Oh, right. Gotcha. And uh, the. The lignum came later. There's, there's some debate who used the first lignum floats on the trend, but I think Dennis White was was early early on with the, the lignum. Was he? And again, in the book, it's all subjective. He likes a lignum float. Other people don't. And uh, Pete Warren uh, certainly didn't want a, a lignum float. And Later, John Dean didn't like a lignum float because no, John, he, he had a very light stem or a very, even a very thin wire stem. I've I've got some of. He had a nylon. Was it a nylon stem he had on his originals? Well, I, I kept the wire ones because I really like John Dean's. What again? And he's next man on my list, and and he's the next man produced floats. Just I'm going to step, take a step back now because I've just remembered that before you could buy a stick float in a shop down here. I used to send off for mine to Tom Watson's yeah. in Canal Street in Nottingham. And, and they did not only did they do stick floats, they did match keep nets, which we couldn't buy down here. We could buy the ordinary old six-foot knotted yeah. minnow mesh ones and gudgeon mesh, but they did 10- and 12-foot ones, but especially 10-foot ones, for the faster shallow water on the trent so they could, they could get them down beside the rocks. And, and we were regular customers by mail order in... in really? That would have been probably the late sixties, probably the late sixties. Yeah, Tom and, and eventually in nineteen ninety, I became uh, when I was a rep for Diver. I used to call on Tom Watson's. It was a virtually fly only shop then, fly fishing only. And uh, yeah, that was they were one of my customers. But yeah, the, well, the go on. I never knew Tom Watson. Uh, I never went in his shop. But Pete Hobson, no relation to Keith Hobson, mm. in this chapter in the book, he talks about Tom Watson's shop. And meeting uh, Jim Sharp yeah. behind the counter, and he had a lovely experience with Jim showing him the floats, the Trent Caster stick floats, which was an early commercial stick. And I, I like Pete's approach to his chapter, where he he talked endearingly about Jim Sharp and what a gentleman he he thought he was. Absolutely, and I've when not they left a... the shop as two young kids, <laughs> Pete and his friend. Uh, he gave him two of these trend casters uh, to go with the floats they bought, and yeah. it felt like you know they won won the lottery. Yeah, 
Right, nearly 400 pages. I've not had time to read it all yet. I've been cherry, yeah. <laughs> I've been cherry picking the bits I wanted to look at. And and but I I, I know Pete Hobson. I, Pete Hobson was a was he's a, a great angling character and a real always a very suave and debonair. Very very good angler. Very. Yeah. Very neat and tidy angle. He ended up fishing for starlets. He said, "Knots yeah. Fed didn't want him, so he yeah. went to starlets and did well for starlets." Yeah, he did do very well. Yeah, very, very. I, I like Pete. We, we used to get on very well together because you know those days, if you wanted to fish open matches, that was the circuit you had to be on. Really, you know, we'd fish the Warwickshire Haven, we'd fish the Trent, the Bristol Haven. Um, very occasionally the Witham because that was that little bit further. Um, yeah. but, but certainly all around all the fens, the, the flowing rivers in the fens, like the uh, like the Lark, we'd, we'd go to all of those places. Um, you know, I, I thought that lakes were for when rivers were flooded and canals yeah. were also for when rivers were flooded. That was, you know, there was no excuse yeah. for fishing a lake or a canal any other time. You know, I, I, I just That's wasn't... Right, yeah, and... and, and Happy I days, eh? Yeah, and I didn't have, a, didn't have a seat. I mean, all my fishing was done standing up. You know, waders yeah. and the bait apron. Nothing was nothing was ever sitting down. Blimey, that was the no. end of the world. But but John yeah. Dean, um, yeah. and I know many anglers that will say John Dean was the greatest of all the Trent anglers. I won't find anybody to argue with it. They'll say, oh, "But what about so and so?" But none was like, "Well, no, he wasn't." I, I I felt maybe it was the era he was in an era when there was a bit more publicity, but he was someone that didn't seek publicity. He was a quiet, um, quiet individual. There was no show, there was no bravado, but no, me, oh right, couldn't he catch a fish? Absolutely deadly. And uh, a little story I drew next to him on the Witham in '74, Tom Sales Memorial. And he was wearing a barber, which made him posh, really, for us yeah. guys at the time. I'd be 24 at the time. And uh, I thought, this guy in a barber, he'll, he'll be no trouble. <laughs> Very arrogant. The arrogance <laughs> of youth. And uh, anyway, I caught one pound, I weighed one pound nine. And I caught that in first hour. And uh, John had caught nothing at that time. And then he caught... Nearly five pound of fish in hours two and three. Yeah, after that, the last two hours, the river flooded badly. And nobody caught. I never saw a fish caught after that third hour. But in that time, John had caught me up, doubled my weight, and uh, he framed, and I came nowhere. Yeah. And uh, I went up to him after. I said, you've done well, mate. You know, and sort of trying to say, who are you like? And yeah. Oh, he said, it's John Dean. My name's John Dean. He said, I normally fish Trent club matches. I do think that was his first Witham attempt. Yeah. And he framed. And even though he never won on the Witham, he got a lot of near misses. And uh, anyway, he taught me that I needed a bigger waggler. So I basically, I fished uh, three rods out maximum, a little dark waggler, and he got a proper float on. Fish B, I think he had two or three BBs down as it happened. And that suited them conditions. We had this rising river on the day. Yeah. And uh, he slaughtered me. Yeah. And I didn't really need to draw next to him after that. And I never did. But, you know, that was my introduction <laughs> to John. Yeah, he, he was Super good on star. Oh, absolutely. Beat, absolutely. I'd say he more or less beat everybody he drew beside. Yeah. So it was no disgrace. Yeah. 
I remember again that John. I used to call on Mansfield Angling, um, where which John and Colin Perry had with woven crest, yeah. crest the wholesalers upstairs, and um, I'd sit down over a cup of tea with John, and he. This was after he packed up match fishing because he just stopped match fishing, didn't like it anymore. Was was heavily into trout fishing during the, the trout fishing season. Used to go to Rutland especially him and Johnny Rofe. Funny enough, they they both went to Rutland. They they developed yeah. their own buzzers to fish Rutland very successfully. Big fly, big flies as well, and and were. Was superb fly anglers, but I'd sit down going there in the winter, and John would say, "I'm going to Welland again this week." He said, "I'll be down there." And he used to fish the wide Welland in the days. I suppose it was pre-cormorant days when when the 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 fish didn't migrate into town centres so much to get under the bridges and where it, there was more population and less cormorants. But because I, I think that's the main reason why why roach migrate now, but that. I may be wrong, or maybe not, but that might be the clear water as well. But that's what I thought. And they used to drop yeah. the Welland down because it was used more as flood um, deterrent than irrigation. It was irrigation in the summer, flood deterrent in the winter. So they drop it down and you actually sit on that berm that you would normally be the near shelf where you used to catch your bits and pieces when you were struggling on a winter league or a national and you wanted some Tommy Ruff or Gudgeon or whatever, and you'd catch them right in the side. Um, but you'd be sitting there and fishing a stick float in four foot of water that'd be running off towards the sea and you had some nice fish this week. I had 11 over a pound and the biggest was one pound 30 and, and just fishing a stick float. I'd have, I'd have 35, 40 pound. He'd, he'd say, and, and you knew John wasn't fibbing. You knew he wasn't exaggerating. You knew that's exactly what he'd caught. And yeah, just, you know, I'd sit there and, and similar age and, and like, I'd be like a fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a fourteen-year-old at a Cliff Richard concert in the sixties, you know, it was it was like that. I could I could listen to, it. and and then you had Perry the Laughing Log doing doing the other yeah. bit. He'd be on yeah, doing very very yeah. uh, amiable laughing guy. Yeah, uh, I, I loved him. Yeah, they they were great. Opposite, they couldn't be more opposite in nature, nope. really, could they, Colin John? Nope, and they they were like almost like a married couple in the shop. You know, one would be very positive and aggressive with the ordering, and the other one would be very pragmatic. And you know, but, but, but yeah, they, they, it was a great, great time that was. And then, sort of after after John Dean, around the same time as John Dean, but with a completely different technique. Um, we had the Lancashire Invaders, then we had the the home brood contingent, and then that bloody Leeds Postman came along. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, again. Uh... Let's say he, he couldn't be out of my top three Trent anglers. Yeah. Uh, or float anglers. I, I'd go that far. Uh, he won the world title on the Avon on a stick float. And centre pin. And the centre pin. Yeah. Uh, and I watched him twice, uh, Burton Joyce, one week. He drew near Stonebridge in the Nelson Field, which is yeah. a deep area inside Bend, not a good draw at all. Been there and he came third. I thought he had about seven pound of fish, but he tells me he had ten pound. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't argue with that. He, he sounded pretty confident that was the way. Anyway, that was no way the third best peg in the match. I and mean, he came third off Stonebridge, which I thought was good. Mm. Running it. Running his float down uh, six foot from the bank, quite a rapid peg. 
Anyway, the following week I watched him on the road and uh, much better peg. He'd £20 plus to win and the lads either side, I think, wanted a couple of pounds and wanted about a pound and a half. So it, it was, you know, uh, you couldn't take your eyes off him that day. You wonder how they do it and you realise it's a combination of, of fantastic skill and technique and most importantly, and the most important thing in fishing, I, I think anyway, is feeding. If you can get the feed right. Yeah, you've got a few fish there. You can feed them right. And, and, and John Dean, we'll go back to John Dean on the with them. I mean, I've, I've always thought on a match that if I start catching roach in the first 15 minutes, I'm not going to do very good. I would much rather catch my first fish after an hour because you know that you've brought them into the peg and they've started feeding and you've not caught fish that are already there and then frightened them off. If you caught one first cast oh, and no, it was a netter, yeah. it was like, what, kiss of death? Yeah, might as well the go first on. Ca first cast of good fish. You yeah. never wanted it. No. Never did, never did. Even even dace fishing. I'm, I mean, I'm 400 yards, 300 yards from the Thames here. And when, when we used to fish the dace matches down there in the winter back in the in the 80s, um, you didn't want you didn't want to fish after half, before half an hour. And then when, if you started catching them after half an hour, you you still have fish in your peg after five hours. And, and, and probably it's a strange it's a strange thought, Keith. Really, not wanting fish to come too early because often ounces counted at the end. Yeah. You know, yeah. I lost two with them matches by an ounce. And you'll think back to how many ounces, how many chances you had to get that extra ounce. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you waste exactly. five minutes and you waste five minutes in a mini tangle and then you think, I only needed one more minute. And <laughs> that's what I used to be in. Doesn't happen you know, these days, though, because everybody's got 10 rods made up. Well, yeah, and they're fishing <laughs> for massive weights yeah, on... Yeah. Uh, these commercials anyway very different now so uh, uh, dave thomas came along with his maggot bag and his in his orange hands and and, and really changed the game there with with bait it, it was his his way of fishing with maggots and the way he used maggots was different to how people had done it i think was different to how he'd done it before and, and dave's been a guest on this podcast and um he, he's, he's great to talk to and, and, and um, really, a really clever angler. Um, and, and there, I mean, the, the Yorkshire tradition really continued, didn't it, on the Trent and the rivers around there, and, and the Yorkshire rivers, when uh, Mr Allerton came along with a, a, a generational change of stick float. Absolutely. But I'll talk, talk about John in a sec, but we shouldn't forget John Illingworth, another John. Oh, no, no, no. There's many great Johns in Angling, but John Illingworth was also perhaps there slightly before Dave, maybe more of a uh, a winning raider, you know, like he, he he wouldn't win as consistently as Dave on the Trent, but he'd be winning matches in Yorkshire on rivers. And I think he'd inspire Dave, because I know Dave talked to him early days of his career because uh, John said to him I think you'll be a bit late starting opens at 28 I think he was 28 Dave when he started on opens so that shows how well he did yeah. from being 20 up to being four, age 40 you know yeah it, but it, it, uh, when I come on to John Allerton I mean he's 
it's changed direction with the float design. The stick float changed in John's hands uh, with it with a shoulder at the top and a slim insert uh, in the, carving the bolster into a slim insert and uh, a, an aluminium stem. Something um, I so never he, ever got on with. I could not get on. I've no. got, got them in the car still. I, I could oh, in the van. I could never Me too, get on. Keith. With shouldered stick floats, just couldn't. I don't. I don't see the logic. I can't. You know, the idea of, log, of, of the shoulder on the stick float is to hold it back, but when I do that, it wants to lay flat. It doesn't want to go down upright, being held back like like a a, a dome top wood with a heavier base. It wants to lay, didn't lay flat when Ali did it. He drew next to me. I, I drew next to him. You mentioned logging in, which is my least favourite stretch of the entire trend. Can't stand logging in because of the variations. I loved in it. Well, I didn't like it at all. And I, I drew a deep yeah. swing, my deep peg one day. I talk about a rock and a hard place. I've got Terry Moroz below me and John Allerton above me. You know, yeah, somebody who's one of the best stick float anglers, one of the best roach anglers probably there's ever been. And Terry Moroz, who's a very, very good angler, knows the river like the back of his hand. And, um, Terry had twelve pound, oh, but yeah, yeah, it should be, shouldn't it? Terry had twelve pound. Um, Ali had twenty four, twenty four nine, I think, virtually all roach, and I had nine pound odd. I did, I did have a big snag in my peg, and, and I probably had enough fish on the hook actually to beat John because I, the way I used to fish the river, I used to attack it quite quite well for chub. chub i used to like catching chub and i used to put bait in to catch chub and i hooked chub and i had a big snag in the peg and i kept losing but if i'd have i think if i'd have weighed in more than john that day i'd have thrown some of them back because i didn't deserve to beat him no. yeah and, and i remember talking talking to john about something when he was on tight lines once and we had a, a first caller came on and said i'd like to catch more roach so john allerton said well you've got to fish light i start on a match when i'm roach fishing with a 22 to 12 ounce. Yeah. And I go down to a 24 and 6 ounce if it's proving tough. Now, using a 15 foot tricast rod, which, you know, yeah. are powerful sticks. Yeah. And, and, and 6 ounce line, you think, well, how does that work? Well, I think, again, it's subjective. Some anglers will strike gently and some. Are more aggressive and strike harder, uh, for one thing. But you know, John, the twenty-four, the twenty-four and small hook uh, enthusiasts, if you like. Uh, I I still think they've got it right because I'm I'm also a small hook man. But I I usually stick to a twenty-two. And, and uh, feel more confident on a 20 on the tidal trend, 22 on the uh, non-tidal, and then maybe a 20 on the upper trend. It, it did vary quite a bit, but uh, no argument. When Keith Hobson said he went down to a 24 and was one of the first doing it, he caught more fish. So yeah. you, you just can't argue and say one's right, one's wrong. Same with the stick design, you know. It exactly. suited John. As people in the book say, Dave Pearson, who makes the stick floats, great stick float maker, mm. uh, he said he watched John and he said, 
I'll never be able to fish like that. No. In as many words. No. And Steve Canty said, he cop, who came from the same area, Steve Canty, of course, uh, ghoul lad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, he copied John's flow, he says, but I couldn't pull it through like John. No. And, that, and that's it. So. Hey, you can't. You, I, I, no. I defy anyone to. I mean, I watched him that day. Yeah, I think most, Johnny most of his were in front of me at Long Again that day. Most of his, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put the blinkers on and not see him. But most of his bites were directly upstream of where I was fishing, and it was, it was terrifying, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, I did okay when I drew near John, not necessarily in his section. I usually had a good day. John Allen was good for me in that he seemed to bring me luck. If I saw him, I'd catch some fish. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, yeah, it put me off drawing next to him, I've got to say. I, 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 that's you, you, do have, you do have people in sport that uh, don't bring you luck, you know. Vogies, like, yeah. I, yeah, men. yeah. I drew yeah. next to Steve Canty. Steve was downstream. This is on Winthorpe. Jan Porter upstream. A bit like yourself for Tiggin. I didn't do very well. I came third in that three. So, so but other people, you think, well, I'm going to have a tough day today, and then you come out right side and you beat somebody good. I only so drew next to Steve Kenty once, and that was at Willow Park, so it wasn't really fair. <laughs> it's all swings and roundabouts, Keith. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I made, I gave Dave Thomas credit for being on this this um, this podcast. He wasn't. It, I was speaking to him. Um, about um, a piece I wrote about him in Angling Times. And I was confusing the two things. I had headphones on for one and not for the other. But, uh, yeah, he was great to talk to, really, really top man. So we've got the... the we, we've done, really, the northeast a bit now. We've done, you know, or East Midlands, I suppose. It's northeast to me is the Trent. But we've done that bit. But over in the west, the southwest, and there was a bit of a... Um, revolution going on with stick floats and the like on the Severn and the Warwickshire Avon. Yeah, absolutely. And see, Ken Giles talked about putting Musil in behind his stick float. Now, that would be rarer for Trent Anglers to do that. I accept that in good conditions they could do it in if they've got the wind right, but the Warwickshire Avon, for example, usually had a favourable wind at Evesham anyway. Yeah. Popular match length. Uh, Evesham Crown Meadow. You can well. usually guarantee a fairly favourable wind on there, upstream or over your back. And uh, so you could grease the line. And uh, although I never did it, I, th I think that was a mistake. I think. Such as Ken Giles, who did, yeah, well, he won everything there was to win down there. Uh, he greased the line above the stick, greased, you know, 18 inches of line, and get a smoother strike with the line on the surface. But you go somewhere like Dunham, in a facing wind, downstream on, in your face, you, oh. you can forget a floating line, you've got to back shot. Yeah, and this is the point. You the know, some anglers in the book talk about back shotting. Dave yeah. Thomas said he never back shotted his stick float. No. With, say, 
two number eight shot behind the float. Uh, but believe me, there were many times in that wind down down at Dunham where you needed to bury your line from your rod tip to your float. I used to do that a lot. Not so, not so much at Dunham, but Gunthorpe and Burton Joyce when I was fishing there, you'd get that similar wind blowing across that flat landscape in front of you and, yeah. and that that was my my trick as well which um which long took a, yeah. a long time um to get it right but i i you know cast out too far rod tip under only only to the, the second guide like the first not the top guide the, the next one and and hold it there and the trick there was that i that i found worked for me when i got a bite i didn't strike i wound yeah because if you'd well, strike you get that resistance to the float and that Horrible the float goes underwater. Yeah, the float has to go under before it comes out. Yes, yeah. that's right. Then I just used to wind, just wind into the fish, and then lift the rod up, and that—that that was my technique for that. But I—I I, I did that a lot, and and sensible. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it, as I say, well, I used to use that was when I, probably when I'd gone onto a longer rod as well. But most of the time, it was a twelve-foot Normark, and then I started using the old Diver Whisker Kevlar's and finished up with a fourteen-foot, and that—that that caught me a lot of fish. That fourteen-footer. Um, Ken Giles Clive Smith, Max Winters is another one, had his own brand of stick float. I was using one, I think, when I was second on the National, um, on the Trent. Um, I found they were very good because the, the balsa was a different shape to the finish because there was so much paint on the top. Yeah. It, it made it want to... That's what you want to float, that wants to go under. Yeah, absolutely. It to go under. Um, and Max Winter stick floats wanted. To, I wanted them to go under as well, and and they wanted to go under. And and um, on the Warwickshire Avon, uh, which we've mentioned, the different styles you you had, like the Johnny Sherwoods and the, the Pete Rice, um, yeah. who right. fished tiny, tiny little floats. Exactly. Out. Pete Rice, uh, we call him the master of the light stick float in the book. Mm. Because he'd use a float with just three number 10s on. That's right. Well, three number 10s is uh, a bit lighter than uh, six number 4s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for example, uh, it's about a, at least a tenth as light. I worked it out. It, Pete was fishing, generally. Close in, admittedly. But he used to trundle it down off, the, off his rod tip and with the idea of catching maybe dace to start with, then in the second half of the match he'd catch big roach on the drop. Yeah. I think because the fish come up in the water, the bigger fish will come up from depth if they see a bait and they'll knock the little fish out of the way on the way rising up into the loose feed and uh, get to the bait first. It's That's like how they get me, isn't it? Law of the Jungle. Yeah, that's how they get big. They get to the bait first. And and then but the opposite end of the scale, and I've not read uh, his name in the book because I've probably not got to that bit yet, but the complete opposite end of the scale was, I, I think, the master of the big sticks, certainly on the Avon and, and the Seven to an extent, Brian Bennett. Well, in all honesty, I didn't, I didn't uh, know of Brian Bennett, uh, so... That is a gap in my knowledge, but Paul Newell yes. was also using Big Stick. Yeah, he, uh, he did Big Stick. Uh, Paul, he talked to a guy from Cofton 
Roy Hall, who he was, he was Paul's mentor, and uh, I, I didn't know Roy Hall. It's it's only that what Paul's told me that uh, he made his his stick float from plastic paintbrush handles, but oh, not yeah. the type, not the type John Dean used, which were very light. This was a thicker, sort of seven mil at the top uh, paintbrush handle, seven mil thick diameter where it went into the metal bar with the bristles on and he'd pull that off the uh, off the rest of the brush and he'd got a ready-made spigot where it went into the the, the metal cylinder of the paintbrush so he he had a ready-made tapered stick float base from a paintbrush and uh, they, this was quite heavy plastic if I'd got it from downstairs, I could show you. But it was a lot heavier plastic base, more like a piece of lignum, really. And Paul used to cast well out and fish for chub while Pete was fishing down the margins for roach. And that was his style. And uh, he won an England an England qualifier when the uh, World Champs was coming up to the Avon at Ludington in 81, Paul did. But he didn't get in the squad. It was him and the him and the great Dave Harrell used to have a battle every year. It seemed in the Matchman of the Year, didn't they? It was the Shakespeare Matchman of the Year, then the Camazan Matchman of the Year, and then you know, obviously yes. canal matches and blood and joke and other things took took swan and commercials. But when Dave it was, Harrell was well followed, followed Paul and yeah, you could argue did it even better with bigger sticks. Yeah, they used to like a big stick. Brian, Brian Bennett, you know, I've, I've I've watched little Brian fish, and he's not very well at the moment. But he was, he was superb on that big stick on the Avon, and it just it didn't look right, you know. One of Shakespeare's it, finest, you you might say, Brian. Definitely, oh, definitely, yeah. He, he he's right up there with the Warwickshire Avon greats, and there were some Warwickshire Avon greats, and and their their fishing really was spoiled a bit by. Southern invaders who went up there with flipping swim feeders, and 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 once the the maggot feeder started going out, and they started catching chub in numbers, um, it it, it spoiled it for, for, for and, and the dace sort of disappeared, didn't they? It was well, it was all you, about dace fishing with the odd chub fishing shallow on the drop and stuff. I'd have loved to have gone there in the seventies, mm. but it was it was too too early for me. I wasn't old enough, really, not experienced enough. But uh, you'll be amused when you see. When you get to Paul Newell's chapter, because he he caught twenty six pound of roach one match, and he was feeling pretty pleased with himself, and Steve Liston from Swindon came up to the bank and said, "I was catching roach, and uh, I think he said I had like thirty pound, and then Chub moved in, and uh, he caught on feeder uh, <laughs> these Chub, and uh, it sickened him off, and uh, he's standing there." With, Open mouth was uh, Paul to hear he'd been beat by a feeder man. I'd, I'd almost, almost forgotten Steve Liston, and you could never forget Steve Liston, the animal. Um, he was just uh, at a time when Swindon Talisman ruled fishing in in into the west of Oxford to the west. Um, you know that they they were just. They they were just fantastic anglers and, and Steve Liston. I used to see him regularly. I used to fish medley a lot in the eighties, 
and and he was there. A few of the talisman lads, but mostly mostly animal, and and some of the Oxford boys. And boy, oh boy, what a absolute character he was. There there were a few of them about. Malcolm Spears was another one. Um, you may be aware of. He gave up fishing and went back to his first love, which was like Max Winters, horses, yeah. racehorses. Um, and Malcolm Spears was another character. You used to see these people now. I mean, fishing's changed now, hasn't it? And I know I keep harking back to this with, with various people, haven't it? Because it's mostly us old gits that are on here. it. It's you travelled and met a similar circuit circuit of anglers on various venues, but now people tend to go to the same venue virtually every yeah. week, just with the same crowd, with the yeah. same methods and the same selves. I suppose we did the same, but in my case, I had to do mostly over a hundred miles. To do it, I mean, Med- I always, Medley was never far away. It was only sixty-five miles from me. Yeah. <laughs> the Ox- Medley trip, yeah. And, and yeah, that was. Um, well, same that- here, same here, Keith. Obviously, to yeah. get to the Avon was two hours for me. Yeah. Two-hour journey and uh, four-hour round trip, five hours fishing, and an hour, an hour getting ready. You know, it's it's a big day out. It is a big day, out and it's all virtually impossible now. Since since shops started opening on Sunday. The, the last three times I've been to Oxford wasn't to fish the Thames. It was to fish Rolf's Lake, which is at Tame, just just this side, just east of Oxford. And it's taken me the last three times. It took over three hours to get home on a Sunday afternoon. That it was, I think it was 51 miles I used to do. And 44 of those miles were on a motorway. Crazy. Just down down here, Sundays. Sunday's the worst day of the week down here for traffic now. Forget about ro- yeah. rush hour. Yeah. Oh, sun- Sunday is all day rush hour, worse than the morning and afternoon rush hour. School's, school's tipping out, causes a bit of traffic, but that's nothing to do with fishing, I Don't suppose. Don't go into it. No, no, I shouldn't. I, I, I get too upset. Um, <laughs> um, the, the only person I know that fished a stick float on a lake... Um, deliberately, uh, was probably you. Sorry? It was probably Me? you. Yeah. Right. You mean the pull of stick float? Yeah. Tell us how that came about. Because well, I, I, I did similar, but with a waggler. Right. Well, Bernard Bryan was really a Sheffield club angler. Uh, an unusual guy in that he probably spent 20 years experimenting with rigs, and I used to run matches at Danflas Res in the 80s, and uh, midweek matches, and Bernard fished these matches, but it didn't bother him really that he wasn't winning the match, or getting near to winning, and I don't remember him winning much at all, but he was constantly experimenting, and then suddenly he said to me one day in the 90s, he said, I'm catching more on the rod than on uh, pole because uh, we were all fishing poles then the world had moved on and uh, I, suddenly I'm saying what what are you doing on a on a on your rod on a lake oh he said I'm fishing I'm fishing a stick float and it went from there and he started telling me about this method which is you fish the stick very light, extremely light, with, it's a one number six weight total, but you just put a few 
number seven style weights down the line, shirt button, and uh, you cast the float out straight and you pull it back to the rod tip, which is sort of fishing in uh, fishing a stick in reverse gear, which <laughs> seems strange at first. And you then, mentioned number seven style weights. I'll just translate that into shot. They are the equivalent of size 13 shot. Yeah. And there's so, no, no way on this earth that the lines we use today, you are going to get a number 13 shot on. Well, I could put, I could put number 13 shot on up to about a couple of years ago. Now I'm struggling with the MS, so hmm. I can't even put one on now. But I can put the style weights on with nippers yeah. still. And this is the point. Ten, 10 number 7 styles equals about one number 6 shot, point one of yeah. a gram. So... A general approach, it use up to 10 style weights down on this light stick float, which had a piece of metal in the balsa before the stick float was fastened, before the balsa was fastened to the cane base. These were made by Stan Bennett. Oh, yeah. Brian Bennett, Stan Bennett. Yeah. In Birmingham. Yeah. And he, put he, a used piece to make, of he used to make on. a lot of floats on, that were sold on the Warwickshire Raven. Stan, right, he used well, to... Used to make he put a piece of welding rod in these two yeah. number six or one number six stick floats yeah. that Bernard ordered off him. So he'd got a float that cocked very shallow, five degrees. And he'd pull this float back by pulling line off the rod slowly from the butt ring, uh, just above the butt ring. And he'd pull it a yard and the fish would hook itself against the straight line which was going straight through the float to shallow angle straight to the hook because these weights if you're pulling it the float back even slowly the the bait doesn't settle down more than three feet anyway so it's a very positive bolt rig and he just fed casters dark casters he'd leave his casters on the riddle till you know, the last minute before he'd, he'd take them off and put them in water. Some maybe wouldn't sink. So he'd it, 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 it riddle them till they were borderline floaters. And uh, and he, he just fished caster with this method. Caught bigger fish, generally, than on pole. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I finally got a float that was right, because I didn't know at this time how light the float had to be. For, for maybe five years I didn't really get get it with the float. But when I finally cottoned on and, and made, made a float similar, I made about of all sorts of things, but uh, then I started doing well with it. And uh, in this century I've, I've caught with it and enjoyed the method because you realise that the bigger fish will take very near the surface. And I think that's that's really Bernard's legacy, that he, he blew, out, blew it apart, the theory that you only catch big fish on the bottom. For crucians especially, I once, I've only done it once, but I had 50 pound of crucians in one of my three-hour night matches at Barlow Farm. 17 good crucians and a few ropes. And... Uh, there's many lakes where it had worked really well. 
yeah. on Crucians. Yeah. Uh, but the the best sport I've had really is I went to went to a place in Cambridgeshire called Fields End, and uh, it's not far from March, and uh, we were catching four pound chub. I'd I'd say we're nearer five pound, cool. and we were just casting out on this carp lake beyond the feed. If you if you cast into your casters caster feed area, you'd get a get a carp on, but by casting past that, we were catching these big chub and big eyed, and really it was great sport because you were catching them six inch down, no deeper, and just you'd only retrieve it for like seconds and then you'd yeah. have a chub on really exciting that and that's they're the best fish i've caught on it but there's many many water skis where this method had really opened everybody's uh, eyes i i think it, it would be a killer on f1s because f1s like crucians are the devil's own job to hook i mean you watch some of the best yeah. f1 watch andy bennett and and yeah. he'll miss 10 bites for every one he hooks and they're still weighing two hundred pound of the things. But don't they catch these fish by what they call jigging, where they lift yeah. in the lift in it's the bait? Very up. similar technique. Very, yeah. si- they're pulling the hook into the fish. Yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, but I don't. I can't speak for F ones really because I don't fish commercials. Only this, what I call a semi-commercial at mm. Barlow, and. Uh, there's no hide in it. There's no F1. There's a such, and it's mainly roach and skimmers. Yeah. But for skimmers, you know, you get a surprise. We had in the book. There's a sixty odd pound of bream catch, venue record caught only last year, uh, on the puller, yeah. bream to four pounds. So if the bream come in, uh, it's it's no different. You'll you'll catch bream, two foot deep in deep swims, as you know. So uh, I'm warm weather. It's mainly a warm weather, warm weather method. Yeah, when the fish are being aggressive. I'll, I'll, I'll go back now to the mid '60s, <clears throat> and a friend of mine called Brian Gent. We were fishing a club match before I'd ever fished an open match, and we didn't even fish club matches. We used to have club outings to practice to fish the London Angler Association Challenge Shield, which was the only matches that mattered the, the shield winning the shield was everything and and I, I didn't win it I wasn't in this club very long we fell out but um Brian was fishing at Sonning on the River Thames and he had roach boiling on hemp and he was fishing a porcupine quill with a size 10 hook with a single grain of hemp not here, but... the hemp was a bit bigger then, but the, it, yeah. it it wasn't that big. It wasn't as big as a tear, and he would be he'd cast out. He'd feed in front of his float and pull his crow quill back with a centre pin yeah. reel from with the line between the reel and and the um and the, the first guide twelve foot taper flash tubular steel rod, yeah. and he caught an unbelievable number. Bear in mind, in those days, we would fish from June until Christmas every Sunday, and between 10 or 12 of us, we would be lucky to catch a 1,000 sizeable fish in that yeah. six-month period between yeah. 10 anglers fishing every week. So, you know, to, ca- to catch 25 goa roach, which had to be 8 inches, 
and tw- 25 yeah. roach would be sort of the, the, they wouldn't all be eight inches some would be nine and ten you'd have eight and nine pound eight and nine pound was a big bag of fish in the 60s on the thames when apparently the, the university of reading studied the roach and they reckon they had to be 10 years old to be eight inches so to catch you know double yeah. figures of those was unbelievable and that's oh, how gently did it how yeah. gently did it he'd throw in a handful of hemp cast his float past it and pull it back and when he got a bite no move in the rod because it was too slow when you lift the rod up no matter how good yeah. you are and how stiff the rod its first mo- motion is to go down so you've got to yeah. go down and then up so he'd pull it and not move the rod at all and there'd be a swirl and there'd be this bloody great roach and the old um, wooden landing handle had come out on metal halex landing the handle had come out with a knotted old net on the end yeah, yeah with exactly. a knotted old net on the end and, and, and he'd yeah. had, he had a bag of roach I transferred that to the lee and I actually won a match doing it in 1977 on a lake at Thiel in, near Reading, yeah. when, which was full of tiny tench. How these were, stun- these were stunted tench. These were stunted. Right. Uh, I did it with a waggler. And they were right. stunted tench, and you'd miss a thousand bites. So yeah. I, just, I thought, I remember gently catching those roach. Well, I've, I missed one thing, Keith. I know... There were lads who fished down flask because that's gin clear water, mm. similar thing. You'd miss loads of bites and you'd have to fish really fine to get bites. And a pal of mine, he once caught a nine pounder roach on a stick float and I'm thinking this is not not possible. <laughs> and he, he was just retrieving his stick float and hooking fish where you miss, miss, miss. Just striking normally so the difference something I failed to mention with Bernard's float he put rings on it made it a slider oh yeah so that is sort of you know a level up really from just pulling a normal fixed float back is slides so the fish pulls the line through the float doesn't feel anything but it will when when he tipped the line you know, the resistance hits your finger. So he ups itself when the line tightens. So, you know, that's really Bernard's legacy. I think that he made this sliding float, which I think is different. And really, it's not it's not travelled that well, this method at all. I've told several people, and I think unless you see it working, you can't really understand, but... You can understand because you've seen a similar thing work. Exactly, yeah. It, and, it, uh, and it is. It, you know, it beggars. And I'm convinced. It's a convinced, Yeah, I'm convinced it will work with F1s. When you've got those little little sods boiling, I, I, before the Fishermania final this year, I went to Westwood Lakes and, and I watched someone having some tuition off a very, very good angler. And there were so many fish in his peg, Jim. I'm not telling a story. When he fed, well, I'm telling a story, but it's a true story, the water rose in front of him. There were that many fish, they pushed the water up in front of him, and he was hooking one bite in 20. If, and I thought, I want he should try dragging if ever this swirling, If ever the fish are swirling, and I make this point in the book, in that chapter, if they're swirling, you know they're up at the top yeah, for a stop. Yeah. So even if they're not swirling... You sometimes never see a fish, this time of year especially. Uh, it's, it'll still work because it's nice yeah. weather, yeah. Uh, generally. Uh, even if you never see a swirl, you can catch on the puller. Yeah. But if they're swirling, well, 
It's, it's made for it. It's uh, a given. But, you know, people, they seem, they seem to have tunnel vision. They think Paul or Feeder can do everything, but uh, not always. It's conforming. If yeah. you're not seen to be conforming, you're not in the in crowd. I'm convinced yeah. it's that. I'm convinced that's yeah. why people do the same, do what they do. And, and, yeah. and they want to be better than Alan Scotthorn is at catching fish out the, 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 the whatever canal the Stainforth and Key be. They want to be better than Matt Godfrey catching. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Rather than think, now hang on a minute, here's a problem. Yeah. How am I going to solve it? And, exactly. and if we go right back to the beginning of the book, we've got Rudd and Roach taking casters off the grass on the far bank of the Lee Canal and no way to cast over to them. Benny Ashurst had that problem and the stick float, the magic wand of the stick float, was his answer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we've got... Th- I'm, I, I can hold the book up and show you. No one else can see it because we're only uh, recording sound. But we've got... 388 pages of book, beautifully printed, lots of words on every page. There's not, a, not an inch of, of, of wasted paper in it. Um, is, it is it on sale yet, Jim? It's on sale, yes, and uh, I've got a launch a week tomorrow. So the 12th of November is the launch, but it's available from the publisher now. Uh, you can go on to, if you key in, 1889books.co.uk 1889 books, yeah. And uh, you can order it that way. Yeah. I've got a claim to fame now. I've got a chapter and a bit in this book. Yes, you have. Indeed. We don't talk about that, though. We won't talk... No. We'll let people... We'll leave that as a mystery. Yeah. We'll, let them, we'll let them learn how I adapted Kevin Asher's stick floats to make them better. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, it's been great. How much is it, by the way? It's, I mean, you it's said 20, to me. Go it, on. It'll retail at twenty three ninety nine. Great. But it's on sale next week at the launch for 20 Lovely. So uh, I, I, I haven't paid for it. I will confess to not paying for it. And I'll tell you why I haven't paid for it. Jim contacted me a couple of years ago and said, Keith, I want you to write a chapter for a book and I'll give you a copy. Yeah. Is that right? Well, yeah, that is right. It's, and that's uh, how I've got my copy. <laughs> listen mate it's been great talking to you Jim as ever and, and thanks Thank for sparing the time and I, I know your MS doesn't make things easier for you um, but it's been wonderful talking to you and it was lovely to see Lynn beforehand as well I've not seen Lynn be- since she was kicking asses on the stick float back in the 80s I guess <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, it, it, it was good. Yeah. yeah it was good same, to see her as well same, same here alright buddy it's lov- lovely talking to you Jim and I look forward to talking to you again mate brilliant Thanks a lot. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, mate. Thanks to Rob. Blimey, a few memories gone down the river in that chat to Jim Baxter, the Sheffield legend, and we barely spoke about our own fishing. Just a reminder, the book is called Stick Float Wizardry and is available from 1889books.co.uk. If you're quick, I think they've got a pre-publication price. So, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the latest cruise and I'll be back very soon with another fishing passenger. If you've enjoyed the listen, remember to like and subscribe. You can check out the website too. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight line.
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.